Hey y'all, Liz Higgins here, and welcome to the Millennial Life Podcast, where my main goal is to share conversations that will inspire you and drive you toward the life and relationship you desire. I'm here to share what I've learned as a licensed therapist and relationship coach specializing in millennial relationships and wellness, as well as transformative conversations with other professionals. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the podcast today. I am so excited to bring you this conversation with today's guest, who is Jeremy Edge, LPC, and owner of EscapingThe.com. This conversation today is going to be so relevant, I think, for all of you, because technology is inundated in our lives. And, you know, I think unless you're living under a rock, you are engaging in screen time, you probably have had conversations in your relationship about how much screen time you have, the effects of social media and how it's impacting your relationship. Um, Even things like binge watching TV shows. I know for me and my husband, like that has come up from time to time. We just get caught up spending too much of our downtime thinking that we're decompressing, just scrolling on our phones or binging another show. This is our world, you guys. So I'm pumped to bring you this talk because I think that all of us can benefit from it, honestly. And it's great information to have going forward. So whether you are a parent of young children or you're just in a dating relationship or maybe even married in a marriage where technology and screen time is becoming a problem then you want to listen to this conversation. Jeremy has a lot to say and a lot of really great advice, feedback, even statistics on how technology and social media are impacting us. He also specializes in gaming disorders, which is actually becoming more and more prevalent in the therapeutic world in terms of being able to diagnose these issues and really help people define when a problem is a problem. Now, as a therapist, I have seen that really show up as an issue for couples, especially, because let's face it, millennials, we do not want to be helicopter partners, but that's where the issue starts to go. It goes to this place where a partner doesn't know what to do about their partner's screen use or game obsession in They feel like it's a problem because a lot of time is being spent on these things, but they don't know how to define the problem and they don't know what to do about it because they don't want to become the parent. They don't want to be the naggy, whiny partner, but they know that it's leading to disconnect. It's leading to problems. And, you know, it can be an issue that both women and men experience, but looking at just a stereotypical heterosexual partnership, I see the complaint come a lot of times from the female about the male. And I certainly think that in some ways we do see gendered patterns in terms of how differently men and women use technology platforms. You know, I think very generally speaking, it might be more likely to see a guy engage in a eight to 10 hour wow party or some online gaming forum. But then you look over at females who tend to be more prone to go outward for like connective activities and stuff. And I see the way that female clients, for example, participate in social media and just how extreme like obsessively comparing themselves to others on social media can be and how that can quickly become just a big time suck for them. So there's overlaps, there's differences. And I think the greatest thing that we're faced with in this whole issue is to turn towards each other and to look at the habits that we're starting to establish as individuals and to be able to walk together towards a healthier balance of engaging in these things. Because again, it's not about trying to remove them from your life, but to have a healthier relationship with them. 
And so I'm very excited to have Jeremy share these insights and pointers with you. I think you're really going to gain something from this talk. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Super excited to chat with our guest today. I have Jeremy Edge, LPC, who is the owner of escapingthe.com. And you can actually type that into your web browser, escapingthe.com. And he is a LPC, licensed professional counselor in Dallas, that does counseling for problematic screen use. So whether that is gaming addiction, internet addiction, or screen-related problems, Jeremy is the guy to work with that can help you. And I just think this is such an important topic for our generation, and both for individuals and couples. Y'all know that I'm really interested in relationships and what helps us have the most epic and fulfilling relationships possible. And we cannot for a minute deny the fact that technology has impacted our generation just hugely. So I am pumped to have Jeremy here. Thanks so much for being here, Jeremy. Thank you for having me, Liz. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I kind of just want to dive in and I would love if you could talk a little bit about you and really what got you into this whole niche, because Again, it's just so relevant, and I think it it really does take some special understanding of this issue that is so rampant. And I, yeah, I'd love to hear just from the start what got you into it. Sure. So it kind of was a combination of the practice I was working at at the time and then my personal life. And so I was working at a group practice at the time um, about two years ago or so, and I was seeing more and more teenagers and young adults with technology issues, either pornography um, was a problem in their relationship, or it was a teenager who's struggling with, you know, gaming and having distracted thoughts about that um, and not doing their schoolwork and their assignments and just having problems because of it. And so I saw kind of a lot of that with my teenagers I was working with, but I was also seeing personally in my own life that gaming was a pretty big problem. And so I saw that the more that I dug into this topic, um, the more I dug in with these clients and exploring kind of what was going on, technology challenges and kind of um, problems were a really big piece of it. And so I looked around and didn't see too much of that being addressed in the the Dallas area and in, in, in Texas, there are some in, in Houston and in other parts of the country. But I saw this was a really big need that wasn't really being filled. And it's in the the DSM, kind of in the back of the DSM, still needing some further research. But it's still kind of down the pipe as far as internet gaming disorder. Then the World Health Organization identifying gaming disorder um, as a diagnosis and will be diagnosable in the next couple of years. So all that really? kind of helped. Yeah, it helped me really kind of identify this is something that is needing to be addressed. And it's just, it's kind of a new field I'd like to kind of get in front of. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. And I just think back even to college years, you know, I met my husband in college and we'd go over next door. We were neighbors. It was kind of funny how it all worked out, but my roommates and I, we'd go next door and he had some roommates, they'd be playing games and this and that. And I remember some weekends it was like, you know, we were all going out doing the normal things, but some of them would just stay like cooped up like all weekend playing these games. And it's like, it was just, it wasn't really something I thought twice about at the time, but I think now kind of being a therapist as you are and, and seeing things for what they can be for some people in very problematic ways, like how probably a lot of that was really addictive behavior and relationship to the whole game thing. Yeah. Yeah. It it is something that is, uh, it's a whole world gaming in particular out of the technology use is a whole world. And there's a lot of good with it. There's, there's a lot of good. There's about like 2.5 billion gamers in the world and 90% are able to really play in a recreational kind of a good hobby, healthy, healthy experience. But there Mm -hmm. are some like one to 10% or so can struggle with problematic or even disordered gaming. So for for a lot of us, it can be a a huge positive. Um, It's growing in popularity as well. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Well, that's so true. It's gaining in popularity. I mean, the gaming realm, and I know we'll talk about like social media and tech use as well, but it's certainly not going anywhere. If anything, it's growing and Obviously, we we have to learn to grow and adapt with it and maintain a healthy relationship. 
I have so many questions, but I guess to start, like, how can a person really know when enough is enough? Like, when does it shift into that realm of problematic from normal use? Yeah, I think the big piece with that is to see if it's interfering with your overall life and happiness and well-being. Is it interfering? Is social media, is, is technology is interfering with your relationships, with your career, with your job, or even with other hobbies? They can be technology use as a good supplement or it can be a good kind of way as an extension for relationships, right? Like we be able to mm-hmm. talk to some good friends, maybe through uh, Facebook, for example, right? But to really have deep connection, we need to have in-person relationships and, and Facebook should never kind of take place of that, but it can be a good way to keep up a touch base and kind of communicate. And so we can see when it's enough is enough. In, if it is interfering with those things, um, if it is interfering with those areas, if you can also kind of look at kind of looking at symptoms of of uh, kind of look at symptoms for addiction. If it's if you're having kind of withdrawal symptoms, or if you feel like you are um, wanting to spend more and more time on the on the device, or when I say withdrawal symptoms, I mean like you can't if you don't have access to your phone, for example, you get really irritated, or really angry, or frustrated, or depressed, or sad. Right. Um, that can be a little little bit of a reminder of, oh, maybe I should just kind of assess where my tech use is. And so oh, that, that be- makes so much sense. That's that's actually helpful to hear too, because I, I, f- I wonder if a lot of people listening are actually wondering, how, how do I know those signs essentially that I'm using it too much or getting on Facebook or XYZ thing too often? And what you just said is, ooh, that sounds important that irritability or just antsiness in not having, I just think of, it's like your phone. It's like that phantom, uh, what do they call it? Phantom limb experience. If I don't have it around me, I kind of have these moments where I notice, where's my phone? Like, yeah. where did it go? Right. Um, right. And it seems like that would maybe be harder to decipher with social media and stuff that's accessible on your phone versus gaming where it's like, you know, there's actual setup involved or you're sitting down to a TV playing the game and a little easier to determine like, okay, I just did that for four hours. That's probably enough. But with the phone stuff, I think just about millennials in general that we grew up with technology really blossoming into what it is today and feel like for us, it could be a little trickier to determine when it's getting out of hand. Right. Yeah. No, it really can be because for one, there's no like diagnosis you'll find in any any right. you know, any any official diagnosis for technology addiction. But there are some symptoms of how it and there's some research coming down. There is some research out there saying that there's a lot of issues that can come from technology overuse and just kind of how we use how we use our phones and 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 in particular, I mean, the kind of with social media, it it, it can be a, a big issue if if it just kind of kind of overarches, kind of gets gets in the way of our time with others or gets in the way of our time with, with other people. Um, and so if, a, a way to practically kind of see where you are with that is every iPhone comes with the screen time app. And so it's right. a really, really easy way to kind of just touch base and say, okay, I'm spending such and such time on social media, on productivity, on entertainment, um, whatever it may be. And so it can really help you see kind of what you're devoting your time to on your phone for and think of kind of make adjustments, right? Like screen time in general can be broken up, I think, in like three big categories, productivity, entertainment, and social. Um, some of those can overlap a little bit, but you're able to see kind of where your time is being devoted. And if you need to make some changes and you can make changes. But yeah, that's kind of just a practical tool that I use a lot, helping kind of see what's, where, where's my time going online? And, and, you know, do I need to maybe make some changes? Oh, yeah, I love that. I think that in and of itself could be so helpful for people that are wondering, what kind of time should I spend on that? And what is it actually giving me? Because you're right, it's not so much that social media in itself is the big bad thing we need to avoid, but it's just, it's our relationship to it. And it's the way we interact with it that makes all the difference. Do you find that people try to justify or really have issue detaching from social media because it is a form of connection? I mean, you've talked about the importance of having the interpersonal relationships, real relationships, but 
social media is a version of that, right? Yeah, I, I think it's a hard time to disconnect from for a couple of reasons. One, for the social feedback we get, we get validation and we get some, you know, people we like to talk with can talk with us and our friends and people that, you know, we respect can talk with us. And so it can be hard to disconnect from those relationships. But the way that Facebook for in, in particular kind of interacts with people, with the user is really um, encouraging people to come back for more. And it hasn't anything to do, it has nothing to do with the relationship. It just, it has to do with the pleasure center in our brain with dopamine being released. How, you know, if we look on a post, for example, um, for a friend, click on a post, for example, from a friend and kind of read the post and maybe comment on it. Then next time we go on Facebook, we will see more posts related to that post we just clicked on or related to that friend. Or if we go and kind of go into a comment in a group that we are a part of, then we'll get more notifications from that group. Um, wow. And so there, there are algorithms created in Facebook in particular for us to, to spend more and more time on it. And so it's harder to detach because we're conditioned to want to feel that rush of excitement when we get five new notifications from the people that we know and, and like a lot. And mm -hmm. so, yes, it's hard to detach because of the relationships, but really because of this feedback loop that we're getting from Facebook, from social media. Oh, man. So really, the platforms have evolved to kind of make us become addicted if we allow it. I yes. mean, I'm just reflecting, too, when Facebook, uh, I guess, made that feature where, you know, the hearts, like, pop up across the, the screen when, mm -hmm. when you post something. I remember... Like the first time that happened, I was like, oh, my God, that's kind of exciting. I like yeah. that. And, and, and the, like, yeah. the like button, too, is something mm -hmm. where, like, we, we, you know, we feel really good when we get, like, a bunch of likes. You know, we try to we strive for that rather than really trying to maybe take some good pictures with our family just to share with our friends. We're really trying to take the best picture of ourselves and our kiddo and our spouse or whatever in order to be able to get a whole bunch of likes and comments uh, and validation from others, you know, mm. maybe for the relationship, but really for that dopamine hit of, gosh, I get, I'm getting so many, so much attention here. Um, and so that's yeah. interesting. So really, yeah, really the interaction we have with Facebook, for example, it's so different than a real person to person relationship that you could ever have. There's so many things playing out that are unique to this technological relationship that we have. And I'm wondering, like, specifically with adults, because I think that's most of our listeners' age range, how do you see things like social media affect people's self-esteem? Just the more they use it, what, like, how can it have a negative impact on self-esteem? We can really start to compare ourselves, I think, to other people. And we can compare ourselves to the ideal of what the perfect family looks like or the perfect vacation or the perfect job. And when in Facebook, it's just a, is honestly is a misrepresentation. Social media can be a misrepresentation of the actual truth of an experience or of, of a situation. And so mm -hmm. I think it can really eat at our self-esteem because, you know, we see our friends and our, their family like, Oh, they look so great. Oh, they, you know, so happy on their vacation and think about ourselves and compare like, well, I, I don't have that. I don't think our family is that good. Or we're not having that much fun on vacation. We're not even going on vacation, right? Like there's so many things that we can, we can look at in our own life and compare it and say, well, I am less than because of what is being seen and portrayed on, on, on Facebook, on social media. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I think anxiety can increase whenever we feel like we're not having enough or even FOMO, fear of missing out on an experience or on an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that can even play into it as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like my husband and I have had some pretty deep heart to heart conversations as we've grown together and had children. And now we have little kids and it's like, okay, you see everybody around you posting pictures of their babies and their little children and things like that. And we started to get to this place where we're like, why are we doing that? Like, yes, of course, this is a way to stay connected to maybe other family members out there. But I think I really had to go inward too and recognize what's the point. Am I, especially the types of pictures people post and this and that, and then maybe coming off of a really hard day and posting some cute, sweet thing. It's like, that wasn't really my day today. Right. Right. <laughs> so just yeah. having to get honest about what you're putting out there and, and realizing that what you see might not be what's happening on the other end 
and yep. just having a more conscious relationship with social media because I, I personally can fall into that trap sometimes. And being a young, a, a, a young mom and a mom of young, young children, there's a whole mom shaming culture out there where you can just obsessively compare and start to just really feed that not good enoughness feeling. Yeah. And I mean, you have to find ways to to balance that and to detach because it can really take you down. That's a good point. It really is. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just the culture is the culture of Facebook. It seems right. like to, to, to post the nicest, the most pleasant, you know, and, but I think also it can be the, the other extreme can be there as well of catastrophizing maybe something to try to get as much attention as possible. Um, there are some legitimate looking for some support, but it seems like sometimes mm -hmm. if we're really catastrophizing or really trying to make something really turn, you know, display it as the worst case scenario in the world, I wonder, you know, is, is that really for legitimate support or for attention or for to, to attention seeking? And so I think it can go, it can go either way. Right. I was curious to ask you, what does it typically look like for clients that might work with you or suggestions that you might make around people that maybe aren't at that super intense level of like addictive connection to social media, but maybe need just some adjustment? I know you talked about like looking at the timestamp on your phone of how much uh, screen time you've had in a week or kind of measuring those things to adjust and make sure it's something you're good with. But do you have other suggestions for people that maybe just need to look at how often they're doing it or, or why they're doing it? Where do you suggest people start? Yeah, I mean, the best place like for your phone is, is to utilize a screen time app if you're on a um, mm -hmm. Apple device, but if you're on Samsung digital wellness, um, but I think also it can just be good to be conscious or be, to be mindful of what you're doing throughout your day, uh, and what tabs you have open or what you're, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're spending your, your time on in, in there are, are different tools out there that can be used. There's, there's a, uh, so, I mean, there's a couple of things that are a little bit different, but there's an, um, website called freedom.to and instead of freedom.com it's, it's freedom just .to and this program can is a, basically a, a blocker for websites or apps uh, that you don't want and so it's a little bit kind of different than I think the question you're asking Liz but it can be a really great way to help like navigate productivity and if you feel like you are wandering or you're looking at YouTube a lot more than you want to then you can set a certain time on your computer, on your phone, um, where you're going to be trying to be focused and productive. And then the program will block that site or block the program that you don't want to you know, engage with. And you won't be able to change the setting until after the time. And so even oh, if you're cool. So there's no going back and tricking yourself out of it. You have to really yeah. commit. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. I have never heard of that one. Yeah, it, and it's and there's a free version. There's a paid version that's like two dollars and forty cents, I believe, per month. So it's a it's a really good deal, and it can really I've heard really good things about it. And and I and so it's a really great way to practically help yourself as an adult, or even if you have young kids who are in school or just you know wanting to to manage your your tech use. That's a really great way to do that. But that can help you be more aware of. Gosh, if I have this block up, if I have you know, this up and wow, I guess I am spending a lot of time on Netflix or on YouTube or whatever. Right. And so that can be just more insightful of where you are spending your time. If you have something like that up. That sounds like a real practical way of helping yourself, honestly, like have better boundaries with the social media use. I just think about people that go cold Turkey or they're like, I'm putting up a post cause I'm getting off of social media for a month. And it's like, I just think to myself, how can they do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I tried to, uh, I think, not do Facebook once for Lent. And oof, I lasted, I don't know, maybe three days. It was just, it was not a great idea. But I think it brings it back to this point that it's not about totally removing it from your life. It's having boundaries and just having limits and, right, just a more balanced way of implementing that into your life. 
Yeah, yeah. Technology well, is a great thing; can be healthy, and just we can help. You know, that is a one way, to, a tool to help it be healthy. Right. So, are there specific social media platforms right now that are just the most popular? I, I'm always kind of more so specifically interested in millennials. I don't know if you know details yeah, yeah. about our specific use of platforms. I know Instagram is really popular, but what do you kind of see in terms of the research or just your own practice experience for what platforms people use the most? From the research I have found, um, a lot of people use YouTube. And we don't think of maybe YouTube as a social media platform, maybe, but it, it's a huge area where a lot of people are at young, you know, 18 to 24 year olds, as well as 30 and up, um, wow. 25 and up. Facebook is a pretty dominant player. So around um, some figures say like around 84% of 25 to 30 year olds um, use Facebook. Uh, I thought, yeah, so I thought Facebook a, was kind of becoming more and more outdated, but so it's still really popular with millennials, it sounds. Yes, it does seem like Facebook from the research I found is very popular with millennials. Yes, Instagram is pretty popular as well. Um, Snapchat, not so much. Um, it's really popular with the younger generation, um, mm-hmm. 18 to 24 or so and, and, and younger. And TikTok is, is I have not found much information on the percentage of TikTok, but that's a pretty popular social media platform for teenagers as well. Yeah, I've heard so uh, much about TikTok. And I honestly don't keep up a ton with the news on all these platforms. But is this true that I heard something about TikTok might be going away? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I was actually interviewed by WFA <laughs> a couple weeks ago. And yeah, man, it's it's crazy. Um, there's some legislation going out potentially for trying to get it banned. Uh, President Trump has tried to, to discuss banning it maybe. So there's some real concerns. There's some real concerns mm-hmm. about it. But as of yet, I believe there's no like formal information or formal findings about China stealing our information, which is the um, mm-hmm. country that you know, owns the TikTok company. There's uh, servers in the U.S. in Virginia, and there's a CEO of, of uh, TikTok in who they live in the U.S. and they are. It's it's an, um, so it, there are some concerns, but it doesn't seem to be yet found to be true. Right. Well, and that's another one of the like love hate things about social media. These types of issues can be publicized on social media. And then before you know it, it's like wildfire. Everybody's talking about it. I mean, we could probably talk the whole rest of this time just about the current pandemic and how social media and other online platforms have influenced the way people have experienced this and responded to it. And what they know and what we don't know and fake news and real news. It's just amazing to see how technology does so much for us, but then also puts us into a back corner and really makes it hard for us to know. Have you seen, or is there research there just about the increased use of technology since COVID began? I'm just thinking about that. And Obviously, people have started working from home and there's all that happening. But as far as like social media use, that sort of stuff, gaming use, is there anything that's showing an increase since COVID started? There's definitely an increase. And the only hard number I have is related to gaming. And there's about a 75% increase in gaming um, from wow. the research I've seen. There is an increase, I believe, in that's social media and, and in gambling and just online platforms in general. I, and I don't have any statistics for any of that information in particular, but um, I know for the gaming, there is definitely an increase for sure. And there's there's been um, this data from the gaming companies publicizing mm-hmm. their profits, and it's exponentially higher than it has been prior to COVID. I believe Nintendo um, posted their earnings, and it was about like a 428% increase since COVID. Wow. Uh, Wow. If I'm, yeah, I remember my uh, numbers correctly. Yeah. So it's, it's really high. Like gaming is increasing. And so, um, I'm sure, and social media, I'm sure, is increasing uh, as well. Yeah. Undeniably. I mean, <laughs> I just sort of bring things back to my own life experience. And I can definitely say that when all this started, I had a much higher use of just getting on my phone and scrolling. I mean, the days were so hard, so long. I didn't know what was happening. We were all kind of waiting it out to see when this would end. And, you know, 
laughs on us because here we are, but it was tough. And so it's been long enough that I've been able to kind of restructure my relationship to social media now, but it's hard. So I wanted to ask you about relationship stuff because a lot of this podcast, I want to help encourage people to feel like they're doing relationships well and handling things in a healthy way and setting themselves up for success for long-term healthy relationships. So I'm wondering with your specialty, because a lot of millennials are in relationships right now, dating or married or whatever. So can you speak to the issue of how you've seen excessive or unhealthy social media use or gaming use affect a couple? Yeah. Technologies can really enhance or it can really kind of get some, have some issues with the relationship. And so there's a term that's pretty new in regards to that. It's called fubbing. And it's where people, yeah, it's where people are kind of using their phones and engaging with their phones rather than the in-person relationships around them. And so around 56% of people say others have done that to them and they, and it, people don't like it. It feels really kind of hurtful conversations feel less meaningful um, when there's less eye contact there's even like just like emotional pains kind of associated with that because there's no it's not attention you know it's not attention given to the other person especially in a partner relationship which is kind of yeah. one-on-one interaction um, it's it's a really hurtful experience and so uh, you know tech, engaging in any type of technology can be can really cause a rift in the relationship and cause you know, social media in particular can cause jealousy. If there's one partner kind of on social media looking at, you know, a picture of an attractive person and there can be some jealousy from the other side. If there is communication or even just looking at the post of an ex of an ex partner, there can be jealousy with that too. And so there is a lot of issues that could happen within the social media platform. Um, with gaming in particular, it can be it look, can look a little different where the one partner may want to to play games or kind of be on a gaming device mm-hmm. um, and not just give the time for the other, not have, not give the time for, for the partner. And so it can be a, a big issue, but it can also be a, a way to bring people together too. Like to bring a couple together with each other? Yeah. Or just, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like, like gaming can be an activity that if they both enjoy it can be an activity that brings them together. They, instead of it being a, a rift of, Hey, I just want to just chill out after a long day and play some games. It could be like, well, Hey, let's, let's play this together. Let's do animal crossing together. Let's, let's build something in Minecraft together or, you know, whatever it may be. And so it could be a fun experience where they can go online and, and, and instead of maybe going out, on a typical date on a, to a movie or, you know, restaurant, you know, with COVID, it could be a fun time to go online and to, you know, to, to do something online in a game. So that could be a fun experience that could bring them together. Yeah, no, I love hearing that. I, I feel like with couples that I work with, the, the healthy ones and the ones that seem to just be on a better path, honestly, are the ones that can remain curious about each other's interests and can push themselves or stretch themselves to try those things out for the yeah. sake of the relationship. And so if gaming isn't your thing, maybe you can kind of suck that up for an evening just to join your partner in something that is meaningful for them. I, I love that idea because I tend to see that a lot of people that come in for working for work with me, they're stuck in that problematic place of I'm not interested in that. And they want to do that all day on Saturday. And I have no desire to sit there and watch them do this. But it makes sense to maybe, maybe encourage them to try joining in that. Yeah. But what would you say to somebody who really resists that who like has no interest in it they're just not into gaming and their partner wants to do it again like all day or all weekend with friends i think it'd be as as a hard conversation to have it can be but i I would really really encourage just to have an an open dialogue with the partner and say look i uh it seems like our relationship is not at a good place you don't have to specifically say that gaming is is what's the problem um but i think being able to speak on a broad term of look I, I miss our time together if, if it was maybe different or, you know, it seems like we're not spending as much time together on the weekends or, you know, I'm, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling distant from you. Can we talk about how to get 
that to a better place or to a different place. And just to kind of try to come at it from a problem solving um, place rather than kind of the problem focus place of like, hey, this is this is an issue I see and I want to you know point it out. Later on in the conversation, that can happen. Hey, okay, so maybe on Saturdays we could go out a little bit and then come back and relax, and there could be a compromise um, as well. And so I think a couple of those things could be good to help in kind of addressing that, but kind of looking at it from a broad broad place rather than a kind of specific could be a good place to to start. Yeah, I think that's great. And when I talk to clients, oftentimes I hear people talk about how they don't want to have to parent their partner. I think that's a very millennial thing too, is we want to have these like fiercely independent people coming together to somehow create this perfect relationship. And that's hard because we, we really are independent and we don't want to have to parent or manage another person. And certainly we don't like to feel controlled. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little more about like what a partner could do at the very beginning if they're, if they're feeling like their partner has a true problem and I don't know, maybe we need to define what true problem is, but it's kind of going back to the beginning of this whole conversation where maybe the partner sees that it's affecting the gamer or social media excess person's quality of life or their ability to sit still and like have a dinner with them and stuff like that. Where could somebody start if they're feeling helpless and don't want to become a parent and, but don't know what to do to address the problem? I think the first part of it is to be able to focus on the relationship and try just to have an open, unjudgmental dialogue, um, come at it with some open questions, you know, try to bridge to bridge the gap and to bridge the relationship as, as much as possible in that conversation. You know, hey, honey, it seems like this is, um, it seems like we're disconnected or it seems like there is some stuff going on that is just a, a struggle for us to connect. Can we talk about it? I, mean, you know, I love you, I love us, and I want us to get to a, a better place or a different place. Can we just talk about it and to see kind of where they go with that? Um, if there is complete resistance on all fronts, then it could be good to kind of talk about, well, just you know, blatantly, this this is an issue and this this we need to have some things to change. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, this is just this is the, a problem, like, I, I believe, because, you know, if nothing else, like the, the point of us not being able to work through this is an issue, is a problem. Maybe not the activity, but that, and that is, sounds like is obviously the problem. But the ability not to be able to problem solve through this is the is the issue. And so at that point, it could be incur- I would encourage the person who is um, wanting to work towards the partner who's wanting to work towards change to maybe see a counselor to talk to someone that they trust about what's going on, encourage themselves to, to try to compromise when possible. Maybe like, okay, so you want to be on social media a lot. Okay, let's be on social media. And then, hey, can we maybe go do something else and um, try to bridge, you know, build compromise as much as possible uh, on that too. But it is tough. It, it, it's really hard whenever your partner is in that place of wanting to just, you know, to just be online and have that activity take precedent over the relationship. Oh yeah. I mean, it's almost making me think about alcohol and drug addiction, how in the beginning of yeah. trying to confront something like that, if it's truly a problem, most likely you're met with some, pretty strong defensiveness and it's like you're trying to get through a brick wall but if i'm hearing you it sounds like first you just start with a transparent conversation about what's concerning you from a non-judgmental place trying to be curious and that i'm sure can feel like a challenge in and of itself for the partner that's trying to get on a path towards health but if that doesn't work really it might be time to reach out for help Do you get people that reach out to you for your services that are often the partner of the person? It's usually from my, from my practice right now, it's usually a parent, like it's the parent of a child or a teenager who's struggling with um, some type of problematic screen use. But sometimes there are some issues with, with couples that I see of, of the partner coming to me saying, this is a huge issue. I'm not sure what to do. And so it can kind of be, it can be both. I've seen a, a partner kind of come in saying like, I, I have an issue. I have a, a problem. I need some help. 
And so there's some openness to that want to change. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, the beauty part I would focus on is the marriage and the relationship, you know, is worth fighting for. And to be able to say, look, this behavior, this this problem doesn't have to get in the way of it. So let's work on how to get to that relationship to be at a better place. Right. And I'm wondering, can you kind of talk us through what does a better place look like? Because again, for me with this whole subject, I go back to this fact that we really, the goal isn't to remove social media. It's not like it's not like uh, alcohol or drug addiction in the sense of 100% sober. It's like we have to transform our relationship to this thing, this experience. And so I'm kind of thinking about it in terms of relationships, but whatever you can share for us, what does it typically look like when somebody's come to work with you? They've really kind of dived into the whole issue, gotten to the heart of the habit and made some transformations when they leave and they're off into the horizons, hopefully in a place of health and wellness. What does that usually look like? Yeah, it looks different for every couple, to be honest, but it, it looks like something where it's the technology use is adding value to the relationship and to the people individually. And so for, for the couple, like for social media, for example, you can utilize social media to enhance the relationship and to improve the relationship. Throughout the day, you can send a sweet picture or a direct message to your spouse and you can, you know, say sweet things about them online, you know, with their with their okayness, obviously, with their approval of it, obviously. But like, you know, you can send, you know, posts about, you know, kind of doting on on your spouse. And so you can utilize, you know, a text message or a call or um, emojis are great now, right? So you can do some pretty cool emojis to just show them that you're you're thinking about your spouse and, and you love them. Oh, yeah, I and love so- that. <laughs> you said make a phone call and I'm like, oh, my God, phone calls. When my husband and I call each other, it's like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't call yeah. each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it can be done, like you can be creative with it too. Like you, know, you can do like those funny, like I think for the iPhone 10s, you can do like those like faces or whatever with like different, oh, yeah. you know, like a, you know, dinosaur or like a ghost or whatever. You can do like some funny stuff too, just to help like use that technology to bring mm-hmm. you together. So that can oh, be that's really great. So it's like ways of implementing it into your life, but it's not your life. And it it kind of enhances your communication and connection to your partner rather yes, than it doesn't replace away. Yeah. It it doesn't replace the relationship. It doesn't replace the in person, you know, physical hug or kiss or or hangout time or mm-hmm. or eye contact and, and, and communication and deep conversation. It doesn't replace that, but it can add to it. It can help that connection, you know, become, you know, it can help the connection be stronger. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I wanted to wrap things up by asking about, you mentioned parenting and, and you hear from a lot of parents and stuff like that. And I know right now, well, as far as millennials too, there's plenty of them that have children and have at this time in the year started navigating school. And of course, under this context of the pandemic experience, many, many schools are starting virtual and kids are going to be doing more screen time for school. So I'm just curious, do you have some pointers or suggestions for parents that might be feeling overwhelmed by this and just where they can kind of start to have that healthy balance of screen use? Yeah. So for the first thing I think we need to give ourselves is a lot of grace, you know, with COVID our personal screen use is going to go up because of work and because of play and everything. Uh, but our kids, our kids uses as well. And, and that's okay. That's okay. You know? And so I, the fact that they watch maybe two or three hours of a show or Daniel tiger, or, uh, you know, do a, a little iPad game. Like that's not going to ruin them. Their, their brain isn't going to rot. I feel like you're speaking directly to me right now. I really appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, I say that intentionally because, you know, I, I, when I get home, I, you know, I put on some Peppa Pig for my kiddo mm-hmm. and maybe cook dinner. And, you know, I'm not able to have every minute with, you know, uh, screen free. But that's not the point. They're, they're living in a world that is screen, like screens are a big part of it. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that, okay, when they wake up, Peppa Pig starts and at, you know, 8 p.m. Peppa Pig ends, it's like it's intentional time around that. And so I, I think one big thing that we can do is just be intentional about our screen use. 
of any kind. And so our kids can say, yeah, yeah, let's, let's watch some, let's watch some, some TV, right? Let's watch something, right? And it, I, I would encourage parents to in, engage in that, initiate that, because the kids are going to want to watch TV all day, right? And if we are the ones saying, no, 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 every time, then they could associate screen use with, oh, well, this is a bad thing, or my mom and dad don't want me to ever watch screens. And so like, mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, it's like a cookie or whatever. It's like, it, it's, I don't know, something that's really it's a lot of limits on it. So they'll want to get it more and more. But if we're saying, Hey, yeah, let's, let's go watch something. Let's, let's go watch a movie. Let's go watch, you know, frozen or whatever. Right. Like it's okay to, to, to give them that cookie every now and then and say, look, I approve of this. But after this, after we watch an episode, Dan Tiger, let's go do something else. Let's go play outside or let's go do some drawing or let's read a book. Right. You know, when we, when we set the limit, we need to set the limit, but then intentionally redirect them to something that is healthy and engaging um, mm-hmm. or just something else that's engaging. So that's, oh, another that's, so, that's so helpful to hear because I think I've just felt when I let it become a power struggle, it, it's like it gives the cookie the power and it gives the TV the power. And most yeah. of all over me, because I'm the one that's had to get really real with myself these past, you know, four to four to six months or whatever about this particular issue and, and really revisiting my expectations that I have of myself, I think as a mom to provide this just, you know, learning environment for my children at all times and giving into too much TV makes me a bad mom. And it's so strange because consciously I know I'm a good mom, you know, we have a good family life. It's, we're doing things okay and it's okay to give in, but it's been so hard and I just have to be honest, it's been like therapy and really having some open conversations with my husband and just releasing rigid expectations of myself. That's really led to a better outcome and more balance with the whole thing. And I just love what you said. It's like, it's okay. You're not ruining your kid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and that can be a good conversation too. It's like, you know what? Hey, we watched kind of a lot of TV today. What'd you think about that? You know, I, I kind of feel like I, I want to go do something, right? What, what do you think, right? And it can be just a good conversation to have. Of like, okay, we watched some TV. This is fun. This is cool. Movie nights are great. Like, you know, again, use our screens to bring people together. Talk about what you're talking, what, what's going on with, with Peppa Pig or talk about, you know, what they learned in Daniel Tiger, you know, sing the songs with them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and just engage, bring it to life outside of the episode um, through everyday conversations. So that can be a really good way to, it's kind of utilized, you know, screens and tech to, to help us out. Oh my gosh. I think that's a great suggestion. And it makes so much sense because adults do that anyways. I mean, we talk about the things we're watching. My husband relates life to Star Wars often. So yeah. <laughs> I love that yeah. idea of talking about those things that you watch with your kids, having open conversations. And most of all, being a little more relaxed with yourself on the expectations and the stress that we're all under as parents right now. Yep. Thank you so much. That is yeah. so helpful. I just think one more thing that I think has, has been pretty helpful for me too, is to bring in our kiddo when we're using our phone in, like personally, if we're answering an email and it's appropriate to like, to say, Hey, this is what I'm working on. I think it can be really helpful for the kiddo to see how we utilize tech and how we use tech. And it helps us be more accountable and intentional about our screen use as well. And so, like, you know, if you're typing on the computer, yeah, come over here. And when I'm, t- when I'm done with this email, we can type together. Here, write your name. Yeah, sure. This, this is how you do that. Oh, this is how you change the font. Yeah, very good. And so we can start at a young age to in, in, in help them to learn how to navigate tech and to be comfortable with it and not for it to be a scary thing that ha- they have to explore and learn all by themselves. Um, right. Or, or not know. something that the parent is trying to hide, which I've totally been there with the whole mindset of, oh, I don't want them to see me pulling my phone out. I feel so guilty that I'm not being present with them. But it's like legitimately answering an email or something really quick. I hadn't even thought of it that way to include them in it and let them experience that with me. When we bring technology, when we bring our phones out, fubbing, we can feel we can feel disconnected, right? But if mm-hmm. we're able to use that again to help bring the connection closer, hey, come over here, let me show you what I'm working on. Like that, then that changes everything. You and know, I, like, I can just see the ways that could be so helpful for a parent's relationship to their children, but also a person's relationship to their partner. 
Mm -hmm. But I don't, yeah, I hadn't even thought about trying to include my partner in something I might be looking at. I mean, we do it from time to time, but to really be like uh, intentionally trying to involve him in something that I'm looking at, like it could bring us closer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, all the time at dinner, we should have our phones out. Like I'm a big, big advocate to, to not have phones at you know mealtime and as, as right. much as possible. But, but if we do need to be able to interact and we're not able to play completely presently for the three hours stretch like it's okay to say hey this is you know i'll be with you right in one second and you finish seeing what you want to see what i'm looking at you know and so that could be helpful right oh this has been so great jeremy you're obviously very knowledgeable about these subjects and i feel like we could talk a whole nother hour about (laughs) trust in relationships related to tech and i know that you also work with clients through issues with pornography and i've decided to table that one for another episode but we'll definitely be talking about that soon because it's just another really relevant part of this whole thing but thank you so much and where can people find you? I'm just, I would love to give people information on any freebies or anything you have out there that where they can follow you and find you and just keep up with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, you can find me at my website and practice name is escapingthe.com. Just type in as, as it sounds. And then you can go to, I've got a lot of content on my website. I've really tried to make it as content and resource rich as possible. And so people can go to escapingthe.com backslash resources. And on there, there's a whole bunch of free information that I've compiled, websites, books, that one app uh, website that I talked about freedom is on there as well. And different practices that are just really um, counseling practices that I found have been helpful in the area. And so Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I've been on your website. It is absolutely thorough. There's so much good stuff out there and there's great information for people. If you are struggling with any of these things, but also the family members and again, just where, how to help you get started in helping your loved one get better, find more balance with social media or gaming. So escaping the.com is where people can find you and follow you. And you're on Facebook and Instagram too, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Yep. Facebook, Instagram, and um, LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming and doing this. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for your time, Liz. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you like the show, leave us five stars or write a review. If you're interested in learning more, sign up for my free ebook, The One Barrier to Commitment All Millennials Face at millennialrelationships.com. 